Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I've got Elias here with me today. I'm Roger Abel. How are we doing, Elias? Good. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for listening. And Roger, thank you for having me on the show again. You've been on the show for how many continuous episodes? One of these days. I know, but one I of these feel days like... we're switching it up. So I got to tell you what my wife said this morning. I sent you the text about it, but her idea was for Halloween to dress up and do something fun. And then she said, well, maybe you could have one person dress up like a bull and one as a bear. So and, which one Which one would you be and which would I be? Well, I would be the bull and Jonas would be the bear. You'd be cut out of that episode. Oh. No, because, you know, Jonas and I have a long history. We always joke that, hey, I'm the perpetual bull. He's the perpetual bear. But I won't do that, too. That's but I thought that'd true. be fun to do a show for Halloween. Um, that was my wife's idea. I'm like, that actually would be a pretty cool idea. You know, I don't know about your house, but we're ramping up for Halloween. We're buying skeletons and costumes. and. Uh, my house is fully decorated. It's been fully Halloween decorated for two weeks. So, it's my yes, wife's, we're ready. It's my wife's favorite holiday. Is it really? Yeah, she admits that. But we're going to do a show on it because I, after she said that to me, I went and did some Google searches on Halloween financial facts. So that's going to be our episode for Halloween. Um, awesome. but, but I'm interested to hear the surprise question you have for me yeah. because before we started the show, you said you had a surprise question for me. Yep. So this was a question that, um, this was actually asked to a table of guys, um, at happy hour yesterday. Cause we have some super fans of our radio show and our other shows that we do that. Um, they like to sit with us when we go out for happy hour after the show. And one of them, he asked, for the investor who's scared of the market and doesn't want to be in the market and wants to get 5% return and not tap into their principal, what is the solution for us? And my first question back was, where are you going to go to get that right now? And his the point he was making, he just wants like 10-year treasury yields to go back to probably closer to historical averages and what they were in the 80s and 90s. So then he can go buy a bond fund, not spend his principal, and make 5% a year. So I thought that might be an interesting question to bring up to hear your take on that and what you would kind of how you would answer that in that situation. So the first thing I'd want to know, and my assumption is, I think I already know the answer to this. Why are you so scared of the stock market? One. Mm -hmm. I have a, well, I can, um, I don't know. I didn't ask him that, but I would think volatility. Okay. I, I have a different rationale as to okay. why he's scared of it. And no one's ever quantified for him what he needs to do to be successful. And what I'm getting at is if he had a fully executed financial plan that said, hey, if you sit here in a bond, 100% bond account for the next 20 years versus a portfolio that's 70% stock or 80, whatever it is, the financial plan would quantify with some level of certainty where he should be. And I've done this scenario with people. If I show you the probability of you making it to retirement with 100% bonds is 0%, but your probability of making it through retirement with 50% stock and 50% bonds is 80%, which one are you going to choose? Yeah, you clearly you're going to take your higher probability odds. So part of the function of this is nobody's helped educate this individual as to where he needs to be and what what the recourse is if he stays and just earns 5%. The second part of this is you made a good point. He just wants treasury yields to go back 
pay 5% where you can buy a bond. The problem with that is, is it's really offset by inflation as well, right? Because we're not going to 5% interest rates unless there's some level of inflation with it. So those two things kind of go hand in hand. If the CD's paying 5% and inflation's four and a half, you have a half a percent, you know, return, half percent real return after inflation. Well, that's no different than inflation being half a percent and you get 1% on a CD, you make half a percent. It's exactly the same. He just likes the idea of 5% better. But back to his original point, where are you going to get 5% today? I know where you can get it. It's called the unicorn scenario. It doesn't really exist. It's this mythical creature that we all think exists. There's no place you get 5% with no volatility today. Right. There's no risk-free 5%. There's no risk-free 5% rate of return. So that's the unicorn mythical creature scenario of today. And it's the first thing that came to mind when you told me this. I'm like, yeah, this is the unicorn. Like, we all want that. And so I will. And this super nice guy. I like him. And all the points you're making. I, I agree with that. There is a certain level. He's not convicted in his financial planning. Um, you know, and I've joked or I've actually joked around with him about this is he needs to quit watching, uh, the financial media. So, and he calls it the money channel. I think he's referring to CNBC. CNBC? Yeah. He goes, well, I was watching the money channel today and they're saying this. And so I think he kind of lat cause he definitely latches onto those, um, you know, those talk, like kind of those fear talking points and, um, and all that. So I think he would be, yeah, probably a good candidate for a better financial plan and a media filter. Stop watching so much of the financial news. That's getting y'all worked up. I love CNBC. It's the channel that I watch, but at the same time, I'm trying to arm myself with information to help our clients. I also understand that most of the stuff they're talking about is really relevant to more of a trader atmosphere than a long-term investor. And you'll even get financial advisors that come on there and they'll ask them a question. I think the last show we talked about a uh, rolling correction. You said, what does this actually mean for the average investor? And I said, nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Because if you've got a 10 or 15 year time horizon, it's irrelevant. And you'll get financial advisors or planners who come on CNBC that say, hey, it's relevant for today. But if you're a long-term investor, they'll preface that. If you're a long-term investor, you know, long-term, this looks great. Um, that's a good question. It actually leads me into one of the outline topics we, I was reading. And I don't know how many people remember a basketball player by the name of Antoine Walker. Do you? I do remember Antoine Walker, yeah. Okay, so Antoine Walker, he was drafted by the Celtics in – when he was 19 years old and he has recently started a company that basically counsels NBA players on how to handle their finances. And the story of Antoine Walker goes, he's drafted at 19 made, I believe he made 109 million, 108 million during his career and filed for bankruptcy two years later. Okay. And when we start thinking about, giving people conviction, helping them with their financial planning and what their time horizon is, it really makes me think about this because I just said, hey, most people think about their time horizon based upon their age, right? That's what they do. They say, hey, well, you know, I'm 50, my time horizon's 15 years till I retire. Well, that's not true. Your time horizon is more like 40 years, but we have to prepare for retirement in 15. 
One of the things I always think about with professional athletes and their financial planners and all the people they're working with. And one of the things I think that's detrimental, I think too many, number one, I know too many athletes think the party's going to go on forever, right? This, I'm making 10 million a year. This money's going to be here for a long time. Well, it may be, it may not be. A professional athlete almost has to treat his retirement like five years away. So think about that, though. Mentally, for a 21-year-old, if the average career of an NFL football player is six years, and I don't know what it is. I'm just saying, let's say it's six years. Well, then really, we're expecting that they're going to retire in six years. Most of these players who are losing money and massive amounts of money are taking what? Massive amounts of risk to get it that they don't need to take. They should almost be invested more like a retiree at 26, because if they don't ever want to work again, they're retiring. You have to figure out how to make that money last. They have a distribution strategy where many of these financial planners just say, well, you're 21 and you have forever. Well, not really. So I think that's one of the huge issues. And when we were talking about that, it made me really think about what Antoine Walker is doing to help the fellow NBA and young athlete kind of world. Yeah, and I think it's a great, this the kind of the mission he's on, that's a great thing because these are, any really any young person who's making a lot of money, um, you know, they probably do need some level of advice. Cause even in this article, he talks about how, um, I didn't do a good job because I was too busy living in the moment. And a lot of people kind of use that. Well, I'm living in the moment as an excuse to not save money. When the reality is you can save a decent chunk of your money and you can still have a good life, especially, he, he played in the NBA for 12 years, so basically from 19 until 31, made in the ballpark of $10 million a year. He probably could have figured out a way to uh, save a few of those pennies too and not just spend it all. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really, to me, it's really great what he's doing, and hopefully hopefully more uh, athletes kind of glom on to what his mission and what he's trying to help them do. It's actually really similar to the FIRE the fire mission, which is financially independent, retire early. We see um, there's a number of millennials who have decided, hey, I don't want to work past a certain age. So they're saving 50, 60, 70% of their paycheck, right, to get mm -hmm. to retirement. Yep. And they're looking at retirement for a much longer period of time. And if that'll work out, I don't know, because I don't know the assumptions they've made. But, you know, if you retire at 35, you're going to have to have a pretty large sum of money to never work again, because arguably you're going to live 60 years in retirement. And that's what these professional athletes have to do. And it's a different level of financial planning that has to happen for them um, to not get taken advantage of and to make sure this money is going to last. But I thought that really tied in well with uh, the time horizon we talked about. Elias, you mentioned the individual that you met last night who asked the question about, hey, where do we get this 5%? And we briefly talked about your thought was is probably didn't want stock market risk because of volatility. Well, I pulled up today on LPL's blog, and they're talking about the most important chart of the world. I've talked about this a lot in the past, but I think it's really good for people to be aware that pullback, pullbacks in the market are normal. We're actually seeing one recently. Um, it recently, the S and P 500 has pulled back 5.2%. It's actually the first 5% pullback in nearly a full year. Right. And so that's where 
some of my speculation about the question that was asked um, yesterday and just kind of some of my feelings in general about older investors is I think the volatility of the stock market scares them, which I understand in the short term how that can be uncomfortable. But this chart is a good reminder here that pullbacks, especially like a 5% pull, pullback, which, and as we were talking, so I watch CNBC a lot too. And during this, you know, you would think the economy is just falling apart and markets are free falling and with all the talk and the way that they present it. But what investors, especially long-term investors that want to be successful investors, pullbacks are normal. It's just part of investing. It's something that is going to happen. And so just this chart here shows that since 1980, the average year has seen a 14.2% peak to trough pullback. So that means in a typical year from the high, from the high we're going to have a 14% correction throughout the year anyway. So that should just be part of when it happens, it shouldn't be shocking and it shouldn't be surprising. Um, and I'm not a big, I'm, well, everyone knows this. I'm not, a, I don't believe in market timing, so I don't really believe in storing up cash, um, for buying opportunities. Like I just believe in getting invested and staying invested all the time. But if you are someone who likes to do that, when you see these pullbacks, like I think it's time to buy a little bit, use it as a buying opportunity and don't, don't get greedy. And a 5% correction is not enough for you. Now you want to wait for a 15 or a 20 because, that's, you know, then you might just be waiting and waiting and waiting and that might not happen. Well, that's time in the market. We don't do that. Um, what I think is even more interesting though, is if you look at 21 of the past 41 years, they saw at least a 10% correction. So when we tell people that the average year has seen a peak to trough, you know, pullback of 14.2, that includes all the years that go down 30 or 40% to get to the average. Mm -hmm. But 21 of the last 41 years, the market has went down at least 10%. 12 of those years, it's finished uh, with 12 of those 21 actually finishing higher. So it's like 60, 70% of the time, even if we have a correction, the market finishes higher. So if I go back and look at this chart, Elias, I start to extrapolate data. And just clearly by looking at the chart, I see more blue lines to the top, which is the S&P 500 return versus blue lines to the bottom. Since 1990, so that's 31 years, there's only been nine times the market's finished negative. Only two of those times has it finished worse than minus 14%, only two. So if you start to look at that, what are people so fearful of? And I have to think it's just generated by what you said, the media, we've seen a 5% pullback and oh my gosh, we're in market correction and we hear this from this place. And you know, you have to make this move in your portfolio and arguably you don't have to do anything, nothing at all. You mentioned deploying cash. Well, yeah, if you have cash and you see a pullback, if you look at this chart, when there's a pullback, that's a good time to deploy some cash in most years. Will it work out eventually or immediately? Maybe not, but we've done the article on the worst investor if you buy at the peak of every market and you hold it for a long period of time, more than likely you're still going to make money on that investment. And yeah. And again, and this, you know, so a lot of our talking points are why to stay invested and all that. So, and even when you're looking at this, these are, I mean, I look at this and this is a year by year snapshot of the market. So it's still, even though this like fits our narrative, right? The, what we're talking about, 
if you're a long-term investor, what happens in the next 12 or 24 months is really, it's really irrelevant, especially if you're accumulating. So if you're a younger person buying, you're just buying more and more shares all the time. And if you're retired on a distribution strategy and this is how the market operates, well, you should be prepared for these moments anyway. So this really should have no impact. And I don't think it impacts successful investors. Here's what you need to do next Tuesday night after the show. I okay. want you to take this chart, take out the S&P 500, just show them the blue lines, just everything except the blue lines, and say, this is the investment, this is what it would have done, here's the average, would you buy this investment? Knowing that it's positive 80% of the time. Don't say anything about the stock market, be like, Harry, here's your 5% investment, what do you think? Would you buy this? I know what I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a yes. You're going to get a yes, but the problem is he hears stock market and oh boy, that's scary. Mm -hmm. If you just extrapolate all the scary words from it, which why is the stock market scary? It's not scary. There's maybe segments that are scary. Just go show him this chart and see what he does. And then you can get back to me next week. I like that idea. So Roger, this might surprise you or it might not. I don't really know. Robin Hood is back in the news. Have you seen anything about... There's some uh, allegations that maybe they're the president of their company traded ahead of customer orders. Did you catch that article? I didn't catch that. Okay, I know so you mentioned it to me. I haven't had a chance to actually break it down and read it yet. Okay, so this was an article that came out. Um, it's on Zero Hedge. And so I'm not making these allegations. This was in the article, but apparently there's evidence from the their company chat, they use, um, I don't remember what program they use, but it's all documented. And the gist of it is the president of the company, he sold out of all of his AMC stock, the movie theater, um, a day or two days before they restricted trading on that. So just with the basic knowledge that I have of the situation that seems like trading ahead of customer orders. And it seems like potential trouble. I don't know. Is that something I feel like brokers and firms have been in a lot of trouble for stuff like that in the past? I think that if he, if they can prove that he sold his AMC, AMC stock, knowing that they were going to restrict trading for the general public, I see that as a massive problem because basically said, Hey, I know these shares are going to be a liquid to me in a few days. That's going to be restricted. The stock price is going to go down. So I got out. Um, and, and I, I don't know if it's true or not. I know I had read an article, Elias, um, about a couple traders doing basically a wash sale trade. Um, I think you have the article. Molly sent it out. But two, the SEC is actually charging two traders um, over trading game stock and other so-called meme stocks. So basically meme, meme stocks are back in the news, which, you know, anytime you see these giant price fluctuations, people are gonna try to be opportunistic to this. And, and what these two traders are doing is they're basically putting orders on separate markets on the buy side and the sell side to make it look like there's a market there. And they won't, this is illegal. It's a basically a wash, wash sale. So um, the SEC is charging two traders. So I think what you are gonna see in the future here is more and more and more of these lawsuits as the SEC starts to go back and research what really happened to GameStop and AMC and Robinhood restricting trading in those stocks. We're going to start to see more and more 
lawsuits and charges filed against people because anytime you can make money that quickly, there just becomes a frenzy around it and people start to do things they you know typically wouldn't do. You know, sometimes massive amounts of money makes people do bad things. In fact, I was watching um, American Greed last night, coincidentally enough. <laughs> um, Which one was it? Uh, it was the one about the New Orleans mayor. I forget his last name, but it's a newer one. Um, okay, I haven't seen that It one. was the mayor of New Orleans pre-Katrina. And he was a businessman. He was the CEO of a company, and he decided to run for mayor. And his whole idea when he went in to be the mayor was, hey, I'm going to clean up corruption. And like his first seven days, he did this massive sweep on taxi, taxi cab, um, uh, revenue rigging and corruption. And one of the people who got arrested was like his cousin. None of the charges stuck, but he was seen as this mayor who is going to go and fight corruption and all of those bad things in the world. Well, Katrina happened. And he's seen riding around with George Bush. And he, I mean, he is like this giant political figurehead. But as time goes and they start to build back New Orleans, he starts accepting bribes and kickbacks because there's so much money involved. And I feel like that's a little similar to GameStop and AMC. There's so much money involved. People started doing things that started small. And grew and grew and grew bigger as the money and money got bigger and bigger and bigger. And that sometimes people make bad decisions because of money. And I feel like that's what happened with some of the AMC and GameStop as well. Yeah, right. Especially in the heat of the moment where you just make a decision and maybe you're not considering all the implications and potential, you know, potential trouble that you could maybe get in or what the, um, you know, what the negative consequences would be for you or your company. Well, I can definitely see that. There's so, and you know what, let's think about why some of this started. A lot of this was driven because of, we're still talking about it, but the pandemic pre pandemic, nobody was talking about Robinhood. Nobody was day trading. And now it's just a thing again. That's a good point. Like, was that kind of like just the pandemic and the environment and people I mean, that kind of probably was like a catalyst to some of this because it brought more people into the market and trading than there were previously. But was Wall I guess it, I'd be curious to know. I'm sure Wall Street bets that forum where traders were teaming up on this short squeeze, that probably existed before the pandemic. Well, it did. But remember, to make that work, you have to have mass amounts of people involved. Well, yeah. there might have been a few people doing it. But now everybody's at home, everybody's on their computer, you're locked inside to get on these forums because they're bored and people start piling in. In fact, I think you made a reference to um, a cryptocurrency when we did the Tiger King show about, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's worth something because the popularity could drive the value. Well, that's what GameStop was. It was purely the pop popularity of the trade drove the value of the stock up. So the pandemic brought to light a lot of different things. In fact, I was reading um, something the other day about the mental health um, with people and in investing uh, and managing your finances and how to do it and how the pandemic actually made people's mental health worse. So anyway, I read this article and it just, it pulled millennials and found that more than a half felt overwhelming anxiety in the last year. And one of the things that caused excess anxiety and depression was having less than $5,000 in a savings account. So if you think about what the pandemic did for people, a lot of people had less money. Some had more, 
right? There's been this disparity of, you know, wealth because of the pandemic. My, my wife was talking to me about it a few nights ago. She's like, did you know this? And was talking about how if you had money, you've increased your net worth significantly since the pandemic. But there's this whole population of people who've been completely left behind, primarily service industry people that have been completely left behind. It's almost the elimination of the middle class. But one of the things people were suffering from was mental disorders because of the pandemic and because of their finances. Yeah, and I think that was, and we probably have a little bit, a uh, little bit of insight to this because uh, you know, Jeff, the president of our firm, he runs the Living Undeterred podcast and he has a charity that's really focused on uh, mental health and, and drug abuse. And I remember him talking about throughout the pandemic how when people that were already having mental health issues, well, this is um, highlighting that more people started to have mental health issues, but people who are already having issues you know, they didn't have access to uh, the people that were helping them, their therapists or whoever they're talking to. And and then for anyone who got anxious or got depressed, it would have been hard to find someone to talk to about that. And, you know, one part of this article was here's the three tips for managing managing money, uh, money stress. And number one, seek professional help for your money stress. And during the pandemic, people going through this, there might not have been access to that. So that would have made the problem a little bit worse. But if it's if it's something that's still stressing you out, you should have access to that now. So seeking professional help and going to talk to someone. And another tip was that I thought was good and it fits the things we talk about was not using a traditional a traditional budget to manage your money, but creating a lifestyle design. Um, so that's going to help you feel more rewarded and like you have the lifestyle that you want and define some sort of savings that you do need to be doing. Cause that's the key thing to building wealth, right? The, the systematic savings, is it 10% of your income, 15, 20%, what is that number for you to reach your goals? Um, and then the third thing was in this invest your money. So it makes more money. And we talk about this all the time. One of the biggest mistakes you can make is just not getting started. So if money is causing you anxiety and worries, you know, potentially reaching out to someone who's an advisor to get started on something that could, that could really help your situation and give you a um, positive thing to do. And getting started is the key to even, uh, to even building wealth. Well, it reminds me of a conversation we had the other day, and we talk with our clients about the delegation of their time, their desire, and their knowledge. And some people think that they're just delegating the investing to us, and that's not really what it was. But we had a call from an individual the other day that got a notice from a previous employer regarding a class action lawsuit, right? Mm -hmm. And I had to come to my office, I said, hey, Call this guy, get it figured out for him. And let's be honest, truth be told, most advisors don't want to spend their time tracking down a class action lawsuit for anybody because no, how much is really It's a 1-800 number and it's hold time and yeah. it's all the stuff that bogs you down. And we started talking about it and go, but Elias, this is why they work with us. This individual has delegated their entire financial life to us to help them with. And they asked if we do it. So we called them back, said, yep, we're going to get a conference call with you. We'll call and do the 800 number. It was for 62 bucks. 
And the check was already in the mail. And the check was already in the mail. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? There was a sense of confidence that that client has with us now because it wasn't just about, do I make this right move investing? It was, hey, if I have a money question, which helps them build net worth and wealth, they'll help me with it. And I think that's a fallacy of what people always think we do. People think we just invest money. We do invest money, but it's secondary to building a financial plan and helping you figure out what you need to do to be successful. So I kind of think that if you're stressed out about money, you can delegate this to somebody. It's like trying to do your own taxes and being stressed out about it. Well, just delegate, let someone else stress out about it and find someone you trust that you're confident in. You won't be stressed out or anxious about this. If they do a good job coaching you, putting together a financial plan, working with your emotions and kind of learning what it is that makes you feel anxious. Um, with that said, if anybody needs help with money, if you're feeling anxious about their money, if you have stressed out about money, just go to our website, btwellshow.com. There's a contact advisor button. If you want to start your financial plan, you can hit a button to start the financial plan now. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you tune into the next episode. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.